0: You're on the Plants Grow Here podcast. I'm Daniel Fuller. Come along with me as we enter a hidden world of deep horticultural, ecological and landscape gardening knowledge with featured experts, industry professionals and enthusiasts. If you're a fan of Aussie horticultural podcasts, chances are you're familiar with the Branch Out podcast, where you can discover the surprising world of plants as you enter botanic gardens, labs the Australian bush, and the minds of experts who are passionate about plants and protecting them. It's produced and presented by science communicator Vanessa Fuchs, and it used to be run by Royal Botanic Gardens Sydney, and it still is. But there's been a name change with the Australian Institute of Botanical Science as the new umbrella brand. Branch Out is back in action after taking a hiatus in August last year, and this week Vanessa featured episode 52 of the Plants Grow Here podcast about zero waste life and garden hacks with Gary Moran on her show. In return, I want to share a very interesting podcast of hers with you this week. If you're in plant-related circles on social media, you've probably noticed that witchcraft is actually becoming quite popular. People who are part of the culture tend to spend a lot of time outdoors in nature, and they're often quite familiar with the plants that grow near them. Witchcraft probably isn't a topic that you're expecting to hear about on the Plants Grow Here podcast, but I hope you'll enjoy it nonetheless.
1: I thought you said she was dead. That was her sister, the Wicked Witch of the East. This is the Wicked Witch of the West. She's worse than the other one Ah! my, pretty, and your little dog too. <laughs> Use thy voice, Sarah. Fill the sky. Bring the little brats to die. Fire,
2: water, air, 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 Oh, relax, it's only magic.
3: <sighs> when we hear the word witch... We tend to conjure up images of women with pointy hats and warty chins flying through the air on their broomsticks and cackling away into the night. And that's not really accurate. Throughout history, witches were thought to be doing the devil's work when in fact they were mostly natural healers with a strong connection to nature. They were predominantly women, too, whose choice of profession was misunderstood and often used against them for ulterior motives. Despite tens of thousands of women throughout the ages being persecuted and executed for being a witch, witchcraft is still around. In fact, there's a rapidly growing subculture on TikTok called talk. Its creators are mostly millennials and Gen Z who use the platform to share spells, make potions and learn about mythology. Videos with the hashtag #WitchTalk have clocked up billions of views. Hey, I'm Vanessa Fuchs and in this episode of Branch Out, I have a chat to a modern witch and pagan, Christina Oakley-Harrington. Christina left academia to found Treadwells, an unconventional and esoteric bookshop in London dedicated to the occult, the mystical, magical, and supernatural. Keep listening to learn about the integral role of plants in witchcraft and why so many young people are being drawn to it again.
1: When I came across your bio, it says you are a former academic at a university. So I just wanted to kind of unpack what you were specialising in um, yeah, during that time.
2: Yeah, I was um, it, I was a medieval historian, but my interest in magic really came from my private life. Um, medieval history gave me an appreciation of the past, but uh, the way that people in the Middle Ages worked with the, the natural world and the mystical worlds and the unseen worlds and religion was something that really fascinated me from a young age. But parallel to that, like quite separate from the academic stuff was just a real connection to nature and plants and, you know, sort of the unseen behind what we see, you know, which is where we get the idea of the witch, you know, the witch is always the person on the edge and that always appealed to me.
1: What was it in particular that drew you to this feeling or how did it sort of manifest?
2: I think some people are a little bit more mystical and poetical and dreamy than others. And that was, that was me. I just started having mystical experiences from a really tiny age Uh, in nature. The thing that always really struck me, I think about like the little games I used to play in childhood, a lot of it was like making little potions with little bits of plant and grass and flowers and, you know, sort of wishing that I could be that, like, you know, I remember being like five years old and wanting to be the old lady on the edge of the village with her potions. Uh, So I think it really started there.
1: Was there anyone in your life that, um showed this to you or did you you know or was it very innate I
2: think it was innate but there was also the 70s with a lot of children's books had these lovely old witches there was this big sort of upsurge of like you know like amazing little witches and wizards it was a sort of a theme in kids books so I'd love to say it's something completely innate but I don't think it's that entirely we're always affected by popular culture and my grandmother was uh, an amateur naturalist, so from a young age, I was you know taught names of plants and uh, flowers, and um, you know different you know, medicinal properties of different herbs. And it was at a very basic level, but it was, you know, it, it was part of my culture. It was part of my family life.
1: So between sort of um, these early experiences to now. Maybe kind of explain the defining moments, you know, throughout that journey, and how you now class yourself, or not class yourself, but I don't know what the terminology is. You're 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 a pagan, right? Uh,
2: wow, it's 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 everybody's journey slightly different. Who ends up calling himself a which a pagan? And mine was. Uh, so I spent a lot of my childhood in West Africa where there were people who people who knew what the plants meant who talked to the plants and the plant spirits and the ancestral spirits and um, a later part of my childhood was spent in Myanmar which in those days was called Burma and there there was a very big culture of spirit transposition um, offerings you make to local spirits to help them pass on to the next world and this was a Something that was very much part of my normal life, but I was very aware that I'm a European, you know, half American, half English white girl. And so when I we went back to the to the West, North America, and to England, I sort of was always looking for the equivalent of that because I have this mystical bent, and this come from a family where you know herbs and plants are are important. Um, And I eventually did find some people who who under whom I apprenticed, and and you know the spirituality of nature and of and goddesses interwoven with the landscape in Europe is called pagan The people who do magic are always called witches sometimes they're demonized sometimes they're kind of you know thought of as white witches but that's that's our word
1: I I can understand that I think still for the everyday person when they hear witch and witchcraft it's got this evil kind of intent behind it you know I'm sure people conjure up you know the big warty nose and the Eating children and all of those those scary tales. Um, so, is there actually a definition of witch, or it's too subjective?
2: Yeah, it's too subjective. It's the witch is always the person on the outside in a rational culture, you know, which which really makes a big binary between you know what what's provable and what's not provable then you know the witch is the person who's irrational uh, in a world that's very divided between good and evil the person who's evil is called a witch so it's a word it's, it's a word that's always thrown at the outsider and it's you know it's been reclaimed um, you know just the word shaman is an understood word, even it's a very, very colonial word, but in, in African societies, we have a the Sangomas, the spiritual engagement people, they're, they're used to be called witch doctors. So there are all these words that we have for people in other societies who do this work, but in our own society that that was given to the demonized person, woman. Uh, so I really love that Europeans and, and Western people have, have reclaimed that word because we didn't have a word for it before. Um, that wasn't demonized so we said okay we'll have the demonized word and we'll take it back
3: coming up after the break christina explains what a spell is and you'll learn about an important plant in folklore with the very unique smell Prepare to be amazed by plants and the incredible work that goes into saving them in our What the Flora video series on YouTube. In each episode, you'll get up close with plant life and the experts dedicated to understanding and protecting them. From hand-pollinating tiny endangered orchids with toothpicks to battling plant diseases with DNA science, What the Flora is your chance to see our science and horticulture in action like never before subscribe to the Royal Botanic Garden Sydney's YouTube channel and hit the bell to be notified of new episodes and to join the live Q&A when the new episodes premiere.
1: So is it, is it something that you need to do every day? I mean, I'm just trying to understand how someone can call themselves. Or, mm. of which and is there any authority you know that determines whether you are or not no, it's
2: very much a grassroots movement and there are certain traditions that have practices and, and structures and I, I happen to be in one of those but but one of the defining characteristics certainly is that person keeps fine with the seasons so in the northern hemisphere in in England okay it varies from place to place but in England May Day comes and there's a plant called the hawthorn or the white thorn that comes out and it smells of, uh, it it smells of sweetness and it also has this very particular smell, the white thorn, that is, comes from the, fact that it smells a bit like Lovely. And they found out that that there's a a chemical component in the white thorn blossom, which is also in human sexual fluids, which is why when you walk around in an English field uh, or even down the streets of London, in the leafier areas that like around May Day, it smells like, smells like the sheets the morning after. And, and yeah, <laughs> and, and it was and so the, going back for 500 years, at least if not longer, what everybody did at May Day to welcome spring and pleasure and return of summer at May Day, danced around a giant phallic maypole and put these bunches of these sex smelling flowers all around your doors, your windows, uh, your garden, decorate, make crowns of flowers with them. This is a celebration of delight, pleasure, and return of life. And for some people, it's kind of like more in the inner mystical. Some people it's more celebratory. Some people might like have a little quiet meditation. Some people might just get roaring drunk and have a big hoedown with their friends and you know, stay up all night with their beloved, doing, doing it the old way. But the characteristic is like to, to touch in with nature and those, those traditional festivals, which we now sort of codify, they happen every six weeks. You know, in the Southern Hemisphere, your, uh, your longest night is in June. Uh, your longest day is in December. In the Northern Hemisphere, it's the other way around. In the Northern Hemisphere, on the longest day, um, it used to be traditional to go collect herbs, the seven herbs of midsummer. Or St John's Day, the Midsummer herbs, and those are when it was believed that because of the power of the sun on that day in the northern hemisphere, they've just got they've got their extra, you know, their potency superpowered because it's got they've had the longest period of light on that day. So everybody gets up morning, go finds those seven herbs, collects them, probably is very very tired, has lots of strong coffee, brings them back to their house, hangs them up so they're dried, and then they would those would be used both for spells and for. Uh, medicine over the coming year it's the touching in it's the touching in with what nature's doing and if you have a, a nature inclined mystical bent it's really it's very very beautiful and spiritually healing it's also a way of giving back to nature saying i express my love for you
1: i love that that's that's so amazing especially those those points about the plants i think our listeners are gonna um, be doing some googling after this um do you yourself make spells or are you more interested in Mm. potions or healing like i'm just trying to understand that
2: Um, a spell is when you say words over something or sing you enchant it and you inspell it so when we do a piece of magic for somebody um like a a thing usually there's a thing usually it involves plant bits or wax or string colors stones um, and then we sing its power into it and we sing its power out of it because so we believe that things have their own powers already uh, come out pair it, bless it and then get ready to, to, to give it you know we do these things as gifts we don't charge money
1: That's interesting um, because we're seeing this big rise um, across, you know, social media platforms that, you know, Gen Z in particular are using quite heavily like TikTok. And there's even, you know, a TikTok for witches and you've got sea witches, city witches, cottage witches, kitchen witches. I mean, is this this really like detailed niche label? Is this something is this something new? And why do you think we're seeing young people adopt, adopt it so much now?
2: Um, so for those of us who've been doing this for a long time, but that predate that self-defining niche, 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 um, we, we don't bother with that. But if a young person says, I, I see myself as a witch who, you know, is, is by the seaside, they'll call themselves a sea witch. And that means that in themselves, they want to do more with, with the ocean. There's no external reference point for that. Uh, but it's certainly, it's interesting to me that it's, it's having such a big uprise at the moment. And I see it a lot to do with younger people finding um, an, a need to have a language for a spirituality which uh, connects to what they already respond to, which I relate to, even though I'm a generation or two older. So if somebody says, well, I'm feeling drawn to witchcraft, what is that saying? We're in a world where they're, they're very financially precarious where nature is being stripped away from us and, and, you know, the world is in a terrible state. We've lost touch with gardening and plants as they sort of get less and less and less in our environment. And it seems to me very natural that a younger person would be like, well, where can I find comfort and solidity? And if they find it in nature, of course, they're going to have access to the idea of being a witch to have a spirituality centered around plants and the seasons and light and the moon is, has a wholeness to it. And if you understand that spirituality speaking to you through poetry, which has movement and freedom and responsiveness in it, then it has a resonance for somebody of a sensitive nature.
3: The mother of all herbs, talking to plants and a tree that always gives people the creeps. All that is coming up after the break. To ensure all our botanic gardens across Sydney remain places of outstanding horticultural beauty, scientific institutions at the forefront of research and important centres of learning, we need your support. There are heaps of ways you can do this too. You can volunteer, make a one-off or monthly donation, leave a legacy, or you can become a member. Just head to the join and support button at the top of any of the garden's websites to find out how you can make a valuable contribution and protect plants for generations to come.
1: So are there any other, um, you know, really I say like big plants? I mean, like the ones most commonly associated with, with witchcraft like that? Um, that, that you could highlight?
2: The biggest one um, having its huge popularity moment um, is um, a plant called mugwort or Artemisia. And the Germans called it, you know, the mother of all herbs. It's called Artemisia after the goddess Artemis. It is deemed to be full of moon energy. Goddess Artemis queen of the moon. It has silvery backs. It has been understood in the British Isles and other parts of Europe as being a plot that wherever you sprinkle it, consume it, it, it gives a uh, blessing and goodness and clears a room, clears a space, clears a person's energy and brings good fortune. So often, mugwort tea is drunk now uh, to have good dreams, have visionary dreams. Uh, it's, it's a lovely, lovely plant. And the crazy thing is it's everywhere if you live in the South of England. Yeah. I mean, the other one that has been used for a thousand years that nobody remembers at the moment, um, like on a big campaign, is agrimony. Um, Again, this is a scrubby herb found everywhere, roadsides here, and agrimony is used in tea, used in potions, used in spells, used in um, house charms um, as just good energy plant. And I personally love it, but you know, because it hasn't had a popularity revival yet on TikTok. Uh,
1: not that many people know about it,
2: but they will. You know, if it gets on TikTok, we'll have a run on it, like revenue.
1: <laughs> so um, these are ones that are bringing good fortune, good things, positive stuff. Are there plants that are used? I mean, is this even part of a witch's repertoire to do bad things? Like, Or are there like negative plants?
2: that's an amazing subject. Um, People who are um, dedicated witches I am, so I was apprenticed and I was initiated, we take an oath that we will never do harm, magically or even in our daily life. The plants that are like about death, (laughs) the death plants, belladonna, aconite, monkshood, various death herbs, they are um, also, (laughs) interestingly enough, They're plants that have always been used and are still used in medicine for sedation, pain relief. So somebody's cursing plant uh, is also somebody else's healing plant. Those very, very plants are the things that get somebody through having their their leg cut off. For some reason, I don't know why, in in all across Europe, in British Isles, like walnut trees were like... (sighs) Black walnut trees, ooh, don't know. And I don't have a black walnut where I live, so I've never spent any time with a black walnut tree. If I ever find one, I will. I'll sit under it for a day and I'll say, you know, okay, am I getting the creeps? But I've never had the opportunity to test it out yet. Anybody who does, listeners, if you have a black walnut tree, spend a little time with it, You know, do write in, see whether you have some thoughts or experiences of why it's considered a very bad luck tree.
1: That's interesting about that plant communication aspect, because I was reading an article on The Atlantic when I was looking into this rise in um, modern witches, and one of the, um, the witches interviewed um, calls herself a plant witch, and she says she can communicate with her succulents. So it's very specific. Um, I know you can't speak for her, but, you know, is, is this an ability that you're aware of? Is it something you possess?
2: Some people like want to get very, very defined about things, like I can do this, I can't do that. Uh I don't really move in circles where people make those big statements. And what I will say is that if you spend any a long enough time with any living thing and you're able to relax enough and be open enough, you'll have start having feelings. Some people they're very vivid, for some people they're very, very subtle. And you know, on any given day or month or time of my life, the amount of time I spend with a plant or a tree or in a garden or in a park or in a wild space and is gonna vary. And the amount of sense that I have of something communicating with me or me responding to something also varies. I mean, cause we're all just human really. Um, yeah, it's just if we attune and spend time with them, just as with pets. With anything that has consciousness, there's going to be something going on, and that's mostly going to be non-verbal. But put the time in with any relationship, any connection, something's going to happen.
1: Do you think this this rise in modern witchcraft um, and the connection to plants and nature? Do you see that manifesting into you know a positive impact in terms of conservation, climate change?
2: I've seen, I've seen this uh, go through waves, up and down, really since about the 1920s. The first pagan engagement with nature and the, the urge to concern nature and love it and take care of it, had its big flourishing first in the 1920s and it's been waving up and down. So we're having a little up moment, but maybe a little down moment, but it, it does go in waves, like all cultural trends. The, the good side is that the personal connection with any living creature gives us empathy for it and wants us to protect it.
0: As always, follow the Plants Grow Here podcast on any Apple or Android podcast app or Spotify. Follow Branch Out on all the same platforms as well. You can keep up to date with Branch Out on the Royal Botanic Garden Sydney website, social media accounts, and you can join the community on Reddit. Just search Branch Out Podcast, all one word. If you know a grower that's always looking for new markets to serve, send them a link to this episode.